0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus.
1: We're so thankful that we can uh, come together and celebrate uh, your work around the world, your work in each of us, and uh, just how your light is being spread. We're thankful for the the moments where we feel refreshed and we can see your light and your work, God. Um, But we also thank you that you're with us even in the darker moments, too. Psalm 73, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And we often try so hard to carry our own hearts through turmoil and struggle. And God, we thank you that we're allowed to be emotionally broken and disoriented. We're so thankful that you come to meet us where we were at and that you bring new life to our souls. Lord, we're not designed to hold ourselves together or to lean on the physical world to bring satisfaction. So we ask that you help us to seek you and to lean on you when we face trials, temptations, and and times of suffering. You promise that as believers, we are being constantly molded into who you have created us to be, as image bearers of Christ. And I ask that you soften our hearts and help us to follow your word to change how we live and to be stirred to greater worship of you and your graceful work we know we don't deserve this redemption or this love. So we thank you for giving us a chance to truly live through Christ. I, I pray, too, that you will open our hearts and give us a boldness and an alertness to share the gospel with others. Help us to see the lost through your eyes as loved creations, those spiritually dead. I pray for this continued endurance for your church's missionaries around the world and We especially lift up the Avedani family today to you that as they have followed your call, as they share your light with with refugees, with children, and with families, I pray that that work will continue to go well and that you will open up the hearts of those they serve and that they can show others your love in, in a new way. And we celebrate that your work is being done and we can see how you're working in the lives of those being sent and those who are receiving what is being sent too. So I pray that you will reveal yourself there and all the places around the world that still need to hear about you. And today I ask that you will convict us to study your word deeply and to spend time in prayer with you, and that you'll enrich these times and work in us. We ask that you convict us of our sin and show us how we can live like you. But also to show us the depths of your love and amazing grace bringing us peace when we encounter darkness and when we encounter Satan's attacks. We wanna lift those up to you that are also suffering. We believe that you can bring peace and stop wars. We believe that you can bring justice and protect the weak. We ask for your hand to be on the wars that break out, whether between countries who fight with bullets and with bombs or between individuals who fight with words and with hatred. We ask that you help us to be a light. And as we meditate on how we interact with, with grief and with struggle in a world that also has a loving God, I pray for clarity and for life change this weekend and even beyond that too. I pray that we will see Christ more clearly and that we won't be distracted by the things of the world. Help us when we fall into spiritual ruts and help us when our emotions collapse. We thank you for the days that are bright and that bring us happiness. And God, we ask that you prepare us also for the valleys while we learn how to rejoice there just as much as on the mountaintops. We ask for continued joy and contentment in you. And we ask that we will just be open, Lord, to what your spirit wants to do today through your message and through your word. And we thank you for this time. In your name, Jesus, I pray, amen.
0: Well, how many of you, just want to take a quick poll, like to entertain visitors? Now, just keep your hands up. We have a photo that's going to be taken here shortly. <laughs> Secondly, how many of you like to entertain unwanted visitors? Those are the homes I want to go to. I wasn't invited, but I know you'll treat me well. No one. Okay, anyway, <laughs> what's going on here? Where's one? One. Oh, right there. All right, I'll be over later, Bobby. A few years ago, my wife was woken up in the middle of the night because she heard scratching on our bedroom ceiling. Apparently, a mouse had made our home his home. And uh, so you know what happens when your wife wakes up in the middle of the night because she hears scratching on the bedroom ceiling? She wakes up her husband. That's what happens. And so I got up, I put some traps out, and uh, for three weeks, I played cat and mouse and the mouse was winning. That thing was keeping me up for three weeks. I watched. I waited. I woke up in the middle of the night trying to catch this mouse. The four-legged creature became a terror. (laughs) But you know what I learned? I learned that God is just. Amen? (laughs) uh, During that time, we had uh, started a Tell Me More class, and I was introduced I had to tell me more, to Bill Kilby, and Bill is an expert mouse catcher. And so he shared with me some techniques, and uh, by the next morning, I am proud to announce that the mouse was no longer part of the Weitzel household. (laughs) Let's just be honest. Sometimes we need people's help with our problems. Amen? Amen? Amen. It's interesting that this year you may be visited by a mouse or two. You may also be visited by some other unwanted guests, people that are gossips, people that are busybodies, intruders. But, friends, this morning I want us to look at the most difficult, one of the most difficult unwanted visitors that you will come into contact this year or next. And it's not a four legged creature, it's not even a person, but rather it's an emotion a very strong and a very tender emotion called grief. Grief, unlike so many thoughts and feelings and emotions, can make your heart its home for a long time. Studies show that one in 10 people this year will be introduced to this unwelcome visitor. She will come scratching at your walls. She will wake you up in the night. She won't let you sleep. She will keep you watching and waiting and wanting her to leave. And sometimes, friends, she won't go away. Two weeks ago, knowing that I was gonna be preaching on grief, I asked Irma Souter, who is one of our grief-share counselors, to come and I could just talk with her for a little bit. I said to Irma, I said, now, What is grief? Because in English, we have basically a few words that describe that kind of emotion. We have grief. We have sorrow. Um, But I said, what is it? Because in the New Testament, there's about 18 different words that that, that the authors use to describe grief. But in English, we just have this one or two words. And this is what she said to me. Very quickly in the meeting, she said, Paul, grief is a very bad hurt. That's what it is. It's a very bad hurt. And then throughout our time together, she began to share with me her own very bad hurt and how God had brought her through that. And then she said these words to me. She said, Paul, grief is the price that you pay for loving someone. But it's not just a person that sometimes we grieve, right? I mean, many of us are here today and we're grieving, but not necessarily over the passing of a person, but maybe the separation of a relationship, you were married, you were dating someone, you were engaged to someone, and that, that relationship has been severed, and that has caused this void to fill in in your heart, and it's called grief. Maybe you lost a job that you're grieving over and a loss of income. Maybe because of COVID over the last few years, you've been grieving the lack of vision in your life, wondering, you know, what is my purpose? You have this very bad hurt, and it needs to be healed, and it keeps you up at night and it keeps you thinking. You know, we're in this series on eternity, and the reason why we're in this series is because we want people to have a vision for eternity, to live in light of eternity. Well, last week, Pastor Mike shared about what heaven will be like. And as he was talking about what heaven is like, the idea comes to play. Listen, there are times in our lives where people will go to heaven before us, and that will leave a door to be opened here on this side, where grief can step in. Why? Because oftentimes we do grieve the most when people pass away. And so today we are going to look at this idea of grief, this void that has been opened, this unwelcome visitor that has stepped and made its home into our hearts. Now friends, I'm gonna be very honest with you this morning. There has been loads of books written about grief. And there are counselors, even in our area, that are grief counselors that are available for you. If you would like to be introduced to one, we'd be glad to introduce you to one this morning. I do not plan to play counselor or author, okay? What I would like to do is accomplish this one thing. When we look at the whole of Scripture, there is one truth that is very clear when it comes to the subject of grief, and it is this. Grief should not remain silent. It should not remain silent. There is a dangerous mindset. Michael Rogers, in his book, What Happens After I Die, I encourage you to Amazon this. It's such a wonderful book. He has a chapter in there all about grief, and he says that there is a dangerous mindset among many that Christians, hear this, in times of grief must maintain a positive, hope-filled facade. Listen. God has not called you or me to put on a fake face or this quote-unquote positive, hope-filled facade when we have this very bad hurt going on in our life. But all too often, in the southern end of Lancaster, let's just be honest, we stuff it, we store it, we keep silent about our own grief. We push it down, we lock it in, and the problem is, That mindset is not rooted in Scripture, and it doesn't reflect the emotions in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus let his grief be known. He didn't keep grief silent when he was in sorrow or sadness. He let people know about it. But all too often, public breakdowns of emotion are often seen as weak and unnecessary and over the top. And yet in John chapter 11, what do we see Jesus? John chapter 11 is this chapter where Jesus discovers that his, one of his best friends has died, named Lazarus. And yet he has this public breakdown of emotion. And my prayer is that as you read John chapter 11, you wouldn't see Jesus as weak and unnecessary and over the top. You would say, man, that is what a man of God looks like. That is what a Christian should look like. You don't keep grief silent. Look here, John chapter 11, verses 32, 38. This is how the story has evolved at this point. It says, now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Now look what she says. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, how many of us in the midst of our grieving have ever said that to God? God, if you were a good God, if you actually had a grip on reality, if you knew we're in control, if you knew what was going on, you wouldn't allow this to happen. She's angry. She's upset. She's grieving. Jesus doesn't look at her and give her that stoic response. You know, Mary, you really need to just get over it. He doesn't say that to her. You need to get on with life. Listen, Mary, time will heal all things. It's not what he says. Look at what scripture tells us. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, look what it says. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then, John tells us, Jesus wept. Now, the words deeply moved and troubled and wept, to be honest with you, don't do justice for what is actually happening here. Scholars have written about this. You can go read their commentaries. This idea that Jesus is deeply moved has the idea that he is being stirred up inside you know, if you ever take a pot of water, sit, set it on your stove and turn the heat up. Jesus is being stirred up like water over fire. He is being troubled within his own spirit. Why? Because he is seeing people that he loves grieving and mourning the loss of someone that they love, and Jesus himself has entered into their grief. He hasn't dismissed it. He hasn't called called them to push it down and store it away. No, he's entered into it, and he's saying to himself, look, this is a bad hurt, and I'm going to go and be hurt with these people. And so Jesus is being troubled. He's being stirred up. And the interesting thing is, even though he is fully God, what does he ask them? He says, where have you laid him? Now, Jesus knows where Lazarus is. He's not unaware But what does he allow the grieving people to do? He allows the grieving people to lead him. And so Jesus goes along with them. And when he stands outside the tomb of one of his best friends, what do you see? Tears begin to hit the ground outside the tomb from Jesus' face. The idea that Jesus wept here, one scholar says, means that he burst into tears. The pot had boiled over so much that the water was coming out the other side. Jesus could no longer keep his emotions tied in. He has fully entered in to where they are. This was seen by many, but recorded by John to teach you and I a valuable lesson. Grief should not remain silent. And if you look all throughout scripture, you realize that grief is not kept silent. It is not. Jeremiah the prophet wrote an entire book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. It's why, because sometimes if you look at what's going on in Ukraine, what do you do? You just gotta lament. You gotta say, this is a tragedy. This should not happen. People shouldn't be able to sleep at night realizing what's happening in Afghanistan or North Korea in, or even here in our own cities, in our own states. It should cause you to grieve. And Jeremiah, lamenting over the nation of Israel, just lets it all out. If you look at Jacob in Genesis, he wrestles with God over the very bad hurts in his own life. If you look at David, David weeps over the death of his son Absalom. The prophet Micah is found crying over the adultery of his own wife. The mothers in Matthew chapter 2 are weeping and crying over the anguish they feel in their hearts, over the passing of their children. And then in John 11, we see Jesus Christ himself, the God-man, fully God, fully man, weeping outside the tomb of his best friend. All these illustrations teach us that you should not keep your grief locked inside. But what do we do? We keep it locked in. We put on that fake, hopeful facade, we pretend like everything's okay, and years and years and years go by, and we can't figure out why we're bitter, why we're angry, why we still haven't really gotten over it, because when you store it and stuff it inside, you're not gonna get over it. And yet, if you think, that that's the way to resolve it, I wanna challenge you to look at Jesus. Look at the whole of Scripture. Grief should not be kept inside, but here's the question. Why do we keep, oftentimes, our grief locked inside? I'm sure there's lots of reasons. I thought of two based in Scripture. The first is this. To be honest, we are more bound by culture, not Christ. At times, we allow culture to, to dictate how we live, how we think, what we say, not Jesus. Look at Galatians chapter 1. Paul writes to a church in Galatia and he simply says to them, "Listen, you need to be more bound by Jesus Christ, not by people." Galatians 1:10, he says, "For he asks the question, it's a rhetorical question, "For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man?" If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. When I was a boy growing up, oftentimes I heard these words. I don't know if you ever heard it from various people. Boys don't cry. Men don't cry. I mean, that that was often what was said. And yet ask yourself today, do you want to follow after the hard-hearted person who says, boys don't cry? Or do you want to follow after Jesus Christ who cried and wept even though he knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus. You see, that's the interesting thing about that story. Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he doesn't jump there first. He enters into where we are emotionally. Why? Because he is a God who has experienced all the things that you and I experience. He doesn't show up to Mary and Martha and say, listen, girls, get over it. Lazarus, come out of the tomb. Let's knock this off. That's not how God operates. God enters into those who are mourning, those who are weeping, and he, he is with us in that moment. Even though he knows what's gonna happen later. That's the kind of God we live with. And that's the kind of God that Paul said, listen, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Do you wanna allow society and culture to determine how you live? Do you want to allow society and culture to determine how you mourn and how you grieve? Years ago, a woman stopped by my office. She was struggling with her HOA. Anybody ever struggled with an HOA? Okay, you didn't raise your hand because you're afraid the person who's in charge of your HOA is here, but I know you have. She came by. she said, I, I need your help, I need, your, need your counsel. She said, I'm being fined by my HOA. I said, oh, well, what'd you do? She said, well, you know that my husband passed away a little bit ago, and she goes, in my culture, when you're in grief or mourning, you hang a black cloth outside your door. And she said, you know, I got these letters from the HOA asking me to take the cloth down, and I wrote them back and let them know that my husband passed away, I'm in mourning, and that's why the cloth is there. They wrote a letter back that said, listen, it doesn't fit in with our community, And also, it makes people uncomfortable. Let me just say this to you. Sometimes, when you grieve, you won't fit in. And sometimes, when you're grieving, you're going to make people uncomfortable. But, friends, what is comfortable about grief? What's comfortable about death? There's nothing comfortable about it. Our culture doesn't like it. Our culture tries to push it away. It's why funerals have gotten shorter. Let's just get on with it. We don't like to talk about it, we don't like to deal with it, we don't like to think about it, but the reality is if you're living in light of eternity, people are going to die and those that are left here are gonna have to figure out how to grieve and how to grieve appropriately and how to grieve godly and those of the rest of us are gonna have to come alongside those who are grieving and not abuse an opportunity that we have to love on people. And yet all too often our culture just wants to dismiss it and stuff it and store it away and hopefully time will heal. The truth of the matter is nothing comfortable about death. I appreciate what Michael Rogers says on his chapter in grief, he says this, he says, our grief is eased by our groans. If you've ever grieved, you know that you need to groan a little bit. And so I ask you this morning, who do you groan to? Do you have a pastor, do you have a counselor have you considered our Grief Share program? Even though it's a program, the ladies and the men that work with our Grief Share, uh, in our Grief Share, I mean, they'll walk alongside you for years because let's just be honest, after nine, 10 weeks, sometimes you're still hurting, aren't you? You have all the head knowledge, but now you need to go through all the emotions. Do you have someone to groan to? Or have you fallen into the cultural trap of stuffing, stuffing it and storing it away and hoping that it'll just vanish. Second reason why I think we lock away our grief according to scripture is we've lost hope. Yes, at times we can be bound by our culture, not by Christ, but I think all too often we lose hope. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, a church that was in deep grief and mourning and sorrow over the passing of people they loved and they cared about, writes these words when he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are also asleep, that you may not grieve, hear this, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul's saying, listen, Christian, non-Christian, everyone's going to grieve, but the Christian should grieve with hope. But let's be honest. In the midst of our suffering and our mourning and our deep sadness, we can lose hope. Years ago, I was swimming with friends of mine when I was in college. We were at the ocean, and I was caught in an undertow. I don't know if you've ever been caught in an undertow. I was taught as a kid growing up that when you're in an undertow, you just keep yourself parallel to the shore and just keep swimming and just keep swimming and eventually you'll make yourself out of the undertow and to shore. Man, I was so far down the ocean. I made it to the shore. I looked back and I thought, oh, I don't want to ever do that again. <laughs> Guys, that's what grief does. It smacks you so quick most of the time, your grief is gonna, be, is gonna come on you so quick, it's unexpected, you didn't see it coming, and it's gonna carry you along to places that you never wanted to go, places you never wanted to be at, so far down the road, and you're gonna wonder, how am I ever gonna make it back to shore? The way that we make it back to shore is we have hope, hope in Jesus Christ. That is where our hope is. And why? Because Jesus Christ is the one who blazed the trail. He blazed the trail through death, came out on the other side, rose from the dead to give us life, to show us that, listen, death is not the final chapter. It's not the final page. There is a whole thing called eternity, and you want to spend it with Jesus Christ. And so as you're grieving, we grieve with hope. Hope that God has a plan. Hope in Jesus Christ. Not hope in ourselves, but hope in him. Which is why Paul wrote, listen, may you not grieve as others do who have no hope. And so I ask you, invite Jesus Christ into your grief. Don't stuff it and store it away. Don't be silent with your grief. Invite Jesus into your grief. He's the grief carrier. He's the grief bearer. Look at the words from Isaiah chapter 53. This is how Isaiah the prophet describes Jesus Christ as it relates to grief. Look what he says. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root, of, on, dry, on dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that, should, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, hear this, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus Christ knows what it means to be sad. He knows what it means to be hurt. And yet even though he's acquainted with grief and he's a man of sorrows, look how Isaiah describes him. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and esteemed not. Hear this, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. God is certainly near the brokenhearted. He can save those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus Christ is our grief carrier. When you're in the midst of grief, either this year or next year, the best thing that you can do is invite Jesus into your grief and allow him to carry you along. Why? Because as you're caught in the undertow of grief, you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. You know that the sun has risen and that there is hope found in Jesus. Jesus, only Jesus can show up and give you hope. I was meeting with Irma and uh, towards the end of the conversation about this idea of grief, it's not a very exciting topic, is it? No. I said to her, you know, Irma, I really appreciate your time. And then she said this to me, and this is the part in the interview that just kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been stunned or stopped. This challenged my thinking. She said, I pray that people will eventually see grief is actually a gift from God. Now, I'm not going to argue with Irma Sauter because I know better, but in my mind I was arguing with her. (laughs) What's wrong with you? Grief isn't a gift. How can sadness be a gift? What kind of thinking, what kind of whacked out theology says that this is a gift? You know, when you study Jesus, and you invite Jesus into your grief, it's amazing what he does with it. It's amazing how we will go through some really difficult times as human beings. Times where we'll look back and say, I hope I never have to experience that again, but I'm all the stronger and wiser because I went through that. Difficult valleys where you'll come through those valleys and you'll realize I'm closer to Jesus now that I've gone through that. And at some point, as you come back onto the shore, You say, man, I never want to go through that again, but I know Jesus better now. And if I ever have to face that again, I know that he will be with me. And I'll be much quicker to invite him into my grief. Friends, it is a prayer of ours that if you are grieving right now, at some point you will look back and see the hand of God. When Jesus was with his disciples, One of the things that always impresses me about Jesus is he's not a man who ever lied to people. He told them straight up, you're going to have this happen, you're going to have this happen. He knew that suffering was a reality. He didn't lie and say, listen, become a Christian, you're never going to have any sadness. No, he said, listen, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's with his disciples just before he's about to die on the cross. And he says something to them that confuses them. It's in John chapter 16, just four verses. And Jesus says these words. He said, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me no more and then after a little while you will see me? Verily, truly, now hear this, I tell you, You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve. But hear this. Your grief will turn to joy. That's what Jesus Christ does with our grief. He can turn it into joy somehow through all the sadness and the sorrow and the anguish and the hurt and the pain. On the other side, as you find your feet settled on the shore, you can look back and say, I never want to do that again, but I am all the stronger in Jesus Christ because of it. And you have this deep set of confidence that God is in control of every every detail of every detail of every detail of every detail of your your life, life, and we call that joy. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. Pastor and author Tim Keller, retired pastor, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, said this once, the world values power, comfort, success, and recognition. Jesus frees us to value grief, sacrifice, weakness, and exclusion. He can free you to see these things, these hard things, as a gift. Why? Because our eyes are set on eternity. Revelation 21, 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Are we going to cry when we're in the presence of Jesus? Apparently. But Jesus is the one who's going to wipe away your tears. And your eyes will be dry forevermore. Let me challenge you this morning with this question. Have you turned your grief over to Jesus? Have you turned your grief over to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Father, that although we looked at a lot of passages this morning and we looked a lot of your scripture, I pray that your Holy Spirit has come and done only what your Holy Spirit can do in the hearts and the minds of people. Lord, as we as human beings confess to you, at times we have this unwanted visitor called grief. Lord, we know that you know what's going on in our lives and we know, Lord, that you are not living in some cloud. You are aware of what's going on in our lives. You see it, and yet, just like Jesus in John 11, you enter into our grief. And you fill us with hope. And so, Lord, my prayer this morning is that we would invite your son, Jesus Christ, into our sadness. I know that it's only a work of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for what your Son, Jesus Christ, has done for us on the cross. And we thank you, Father, that on the other side of the cross, Jesus still enters in to our pain and our suffering because he's the one who stands outside the tomb and calls people to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.